Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets and other topics of interest for institutional investors. Each podcast I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr Matthew Peter. Hi Matthew. Hi Alison. Look, I can't believe we're two weeks into winter already and it's been quite a a chilly start but beautiful sunshine at the same time. I hope the markets stay uh, buoyant as well. Take the sunshiny mood. Well, well, I would agree. We've had a lot of action across the globe. Uh, Importantly in the US, we've got the most recent CPI data, which I imagine was quite important to the Fed's decision to not raise rates this month. They had a what the market's calling a hawkish pause or a skip or lots of different terminology. But what's your take on the inflation data and the Fed's decision? I think the Fed's decision was more motivated by a sort of let's take stock and see where we are um, attitude. You know, let's pause and give some space to see what the impact of the rate hikes that they've already implemented to date, what those impacts are on the economy, and uh, the fallout, if any, of the banking crisis. Now, the inflation data that you mentioned was important. We did see inflation fall. It it fell to 4% from 4.9% on the headline rate, but it fell only marginally when you look at the core rate of inflation. So, The inflation data was important in that it didn't give them a smoking gun that would have forced them to raise rates at the meeting. But at the same time, that core inflation being quite sticky didn't confirm that the inflation genie is definitively back in the bottle either, Alison. So I think the prospect of future rate hikes is still well and truly on the table. Well, I think that's right, Matthew. Indeed, the Fed surprised the market a little bit with its commentary and its dot plots, the, the chart that it likes to release on a quarterly basis, showing that on balance across the voting members, there's going to be another two further hikes coming this year. So what's your take on that guidance? Because there was a pretty broad spread, especially as you get a little bit further out in that plot chart. So there's a real divergence of what the Fed is. So maybe they are just trying to take stock, as you say. You know, given the resilience in the US labour market, remember, Alison, we saw that payrolls data showing that Uh, 300,000 jobs have been added in May, and that's been a fairly consistent result over recent months. And and also, given the stickiness and core inflation, we think the Fed, uh, as I said, will go again uh, another 25 basis points, and that will be at their next meeting in July. Now, that's a view that most other commentators in the market are expecting. Question is, of course, will the Fed follow through with another rate hike after that as per their guidance? Well, I tell you what, I don't think so. Look, Alison, where we in the market disagree with the Fed and why we think there won't be a second rate hike after July, we disagree with the Fed about the extent of the economic slowdown over the second half of the year. Now, you've referred to that forward guidance um, and the Fed gives their outlook for the economy as well, and they expect US GDP growth to slow to an annual pace of about 1% by year end. That's not too bad an outcome, actually. Uh, You look at ourselves and most other market participants and We expect growth to be like a measly 0.2% annual pace. So it will really come down as to uh, further rate hikes, the extent of them. Who's right or wrong on the US growth outlook? We in the market are in the recession camp, hence the Fed will only do one more rate hike. The Fed is in the soft landing, uh, no recession camp, and hence there are more rate hikes to come. Interesting. You're listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where I'm discussing markets and economics with Dr Matthew Peter. 
So, Matthew, as you say, the Fed's possibly not done yet, and we certainly have seen other central banks continuing to hike as well with the ECB, uh, which has also raised a further 25 basis points. And certainly uh, the bank also giving a clear indication that it's not done yet. But in contrast to, to the states where you say we're not in recession yet, the ECB is now technically in recession, so probably putting them in a slightly trickier spot for their path forward. What do you think about the ECB's challenge? Well, I mean, like the Fed, uh, in essence, the ECB, we believe, is getting close to its terminal rate. And we see just one more 25 basis point rate hike from here in July. The question that you sort of pose is, given their economic backdrop, should they be hiking at all? Well, we've got to remember, I suppose, that those soft quarters of growth that we saw over the winter, and we're only talking about the smallest of negatives, you know, minus 0.1% in both quarters, they were to be expected, given What's happened to that economy over the winter months in relationship to, you know, the effects of the Russia-Ukraine war? And, you know, even compared to just a few months ago, the outcome is a lot better than what we'd expected. More recently, uh, Alison, we've seen the European economy showing signs that it's picking up over June, but just like in the US, the euro core inflation has been quite sticky in the ECB I think we'll want to ensure that core inflation is on a sustainable downward trend before they pause. So one more rate hike for them. One more to go. Well, interestingly, we've certainly got some other then different pathways for other central banks. We've got the the Bank of Japan, which is, you know, will it or won't it um, change its yield curve control policy? It's an interesting question and I'd like to ask you about that. But then also contrasting with China, which is really seeing some slow, slowing down and it's um, had to cut its repo rates during the weeks. But In relation to the Bank of Japan, a lot of speculation about whether it will it or won't it. Are we going to see any change? Well, it would certainly be a big surprise if they abandoned the yield curve control policy today at the Bank of Japan's meeting uh, later today, Alison. No one expects it, not us and not the market at least. Uh, Could they end the yield curve control in the near future? Well, given inflation trends, um, which are up, and that's actually a welcome development in uh, Japan's case, Uh, they could well do so as early as perhaps July, which would coincide with their update of their economic outlook. Now, getting rid of the yield curve control would also be a welcome development for Japan, as it would provide a better signal to local markets on the cost of capital and would help reposition the yen towards fair value. You know, we've seen the yen absolutely Mm. tank, um, as you know. While higher interest rates and a stronger yen may be negatives in the shorter term for the economy, in the longer term it will allow that economy to adjust uh, production into areas that are more profitable and not just providing artificial support to underperforming businesses and sectors, which, as you know, Alison, has really been the story of Japan over the last 20 or more years. However, uh, I think if the shock to rates and the currency were deemed to be too much in the short run, what we could see is the Bank of Japan choosing to sort of, I like to think of it as averaging out of the yield curve control policy, meaning they could pull in the yield curve control by successively shorter maturities, say from the 10-year bond where it currently sits to the three to five-year bond, and then phase it out after that. And that would give the economy time to adjust to the higher rate regime that would allow Uh, that would follow, I should say, the abandonment of yield curve control. Now, given everything that's happening, and you mentioned too there China as well, which I haven't commented on, but I'll ask you a question. Any reaction from the market from all this central bank news? 
Look, it's quite a fascinating, actually. It seems to be, you know, there's real contrast between what the bond markets are thinking and what the equity markets are thinking. And that's a little bit of a narrative we've seen across the year. So, but, you know, really the markets have been pretty sanguine with all of this noise and all, I shouldn't say noise, all of this news. A little bit of intraday volatility in relation to the Fed's announcement, more particularly that there might be another 50 basis points of hikes coming. But all in all, equity markets are continuing to, to trend upwards and are pretty confident that the Fed and therefore a large part of the global markets has the inflation genie getting back into that bottle and, and things are all OK. So, you know, it's an interesting time, but we also do need to look potentially a little bit deeper within the market. And there's a lot yeah. of commentary about this, but we've got these FANG stocks, FANGs plus a couple of others when you had in NVIDIA and, and, and Amazon. These tech stocks associated with this artificial intelligence, this AI trend, have been on an absolute tear. And if you strip those stocks out of the market, the rest of the market's largely been pretty flat. So, you know, perhaps it's a little bit unfair to say that the market's really rallying broadly. It's a very narrow rally. The question is from here, does the rest of the market catch up to that or do we just see the uh, this breakout of, of AI stocks? So yeah. something that we're kind of interested in. Well, it's hard to see, isn't it, that you could justify the equity market on the basis of the macro. I mean, if you buy into the Fed story, then inflation, you're not going to miss, have a soft landing in the economy you're going to have higher interest rates, which have to be negative for equities. And if you buy into our story that you're going to have a recession, then that's a negative for equities. So I I get your point about yeah. the sort of narrowness of the rally. It's a bit of a conundrum, but uh, and certainly something that's perplexing, you know, the markets, I think. But Matthew, one other thing I quickly I wanted to touch on, you, you did talk about the US labour market briefly and how that's quite robust. And we certainly saw some very strong numbers from the UK but importantly, we also had some labour market employment data from the from the Australian market yesterday. And Australia itself also, very strong market. It's a bit of a trend globally, but we're certainly seeing it here. And I imagine you know, Dr Lowe and the RBA would be, in the sense that they're looking to moderate the economy, not so pleased with that data. Do we think that sort of changes the RBA's path? Yeah, well, all of a sudden, you know, like you're right, another really strong report, 76,000 jobs added over May. There are some questions about seasonality there. I won't go into the details, but nonetheless, even if you average over the last couple of months, it's, you've had a really strong labour market unemployment rate, of course, down at 3.6%. Yeah. Will it be enough to force the hand of the RBA at their July meeting? Well, it certainly tilts the table in favour of another rate hike and market at moment's pricing a 50-50 chance of a rate hike follow-up. Before the next meeting, however, Alison, we also get monthly CPI data and we also get retail sales for May, you know, the important news on how the consumers fare. And of course, the consumers, the be all and end all at the moment as to how the economy stands up or doesn't stand up over the second half of the year. Look, at this stage, Alison, we're tilting for another rate hike in July. But we'll wait and see what the CPI and retail sales um, report tell us before we definitively pencil in that uh, July rate hike. Whether or not the uh, RBA does hike in July, however, the labour market data confirmed to us that more RBA rate hikes are to come. So unfortunately, there'll be, I think, little relief for mortgage holders over the next two months at least. I think that's right. But look, you know, with employment so strong and we are still having, you know, wage price inflation and we obviously had those fair work agreements recently, it, it's a tough challenge for the RBA. Matthew, thank you for joining me today. Appreciate it as always. And thanks also to our listeners for taking 10.